move going deep speed race. He's got Hill. He's got Hill. From the Baptist Health Studios, inside the Baptist Health Training Complex, this is Drive Time with Travis Wingfield. He's got it. Miami is in the playoffs. What is up, Dolph fans, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and on today's show, and then there was a playoff game, and your Dolphins are in it. We'll do our 18th game preview of the season by looking at the matchups, the game by the numbers, and a whole heck of a lot more from the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex. This is the Drive Time Podcast. So I've been looking at these weather reports uh, and starting the podcast with these weather reports on the show for these last several game previews. Don't really do it in October and November as much as September and January and December, but it is January. And since we are within the extremes of climate change, going from 50 degree temperatures (laughs) just a couple of weeks ago to now negative degree temperatures, fun times we live in. But I think this is the most apt week to talk about whether, as of this recording, I'm seeing four degrees is the expected temperature with wind chill and the negative temperatures and gusts up to 30 miles per hour. Some chance of snow, but that's not until after midnight. But that can change and shift and arrive early, right? I'm not really sure how weather works, like at all. But I, I know in the past I've, I've had golf plans on a Saturday. And it was supposed to rain on Saturday, and the rain didn't come until Sunday, or maybe it got there on Friday. That happens, I think. I'm not sure. Did you guys like the new intro, by the way? I thought it was pretty cool. Made that myself. I'm not sure if you need much of an intro on the Chiefs. You know who they are and where they've been. So let's go ahead and do a Cliff's Notes version of this portion of the podcast. So Patrick Mahomes is their quarterback, two-time MVP, two-time Super Bowl champion, And really one of the biggest unicorns to come into the NFL in the last ever, in the last forever. He was drafted in 2017 and only started the season finale with the Chiefs when they were locked into a playoff position that year. That team won 10 games and lost in the wild card round. And that was the last time you could say that about them. They've won 12, 12, 14, 12, and 14 games under Mahomes until their 11 and 6 mark this year. 11 and 6 down year, it must be nice, right? They've gone 10 and 3 in the playoffs. Playoffs during that time. There isn't a franchise that would not take 10 and 3 to start their regular season. And they've done that against the league's best teams year in and year out in the postseason. Their losses coming to the Brady-led Bucks in the Super Bowl, the Burrow-led Bengals when they were red hot to close out 2021, and the Brady-led Patriots in overtime of that legendary AFC championship game back in 2019. That's it for playoff losses. Hopefully Miami 2023 gets added to that list. Mahomes is the constant, so is Travis Kelsey, who was picked back in 2015 and is one of the greatest tight ends in the history of the National Football League. Probably, maybe, I'm still taking Gronkowski, I think. And, you know, I'm from the Gates and Gonzalez uh, era, Jimmy Graham. So those guys have a say as well. But Kelsey's right up there, right? He leads... He, he marks uh, with receivers in the receiving category every single year up until this year, and that's probably something you can attach back to the Chiefs' struggles this year is the fact that Kelsey hasn't had a Travis Kelsey year. Now, 
again, it's changed It's changed a lot this year. They won their lowest amount of games in the Mahomes era. The 11th win was with Blaine Gabbert edging out Easton Stick last week over the Chargers. Damn it, Chargers, if you could have just won that freaking game against Buffalo, none of this crap would have happened. Ugh. We'll talk about the regression, and I use that with air quotes. Imagine winning 11 games being a regression, right? But we'll talk about that in the matchup breakdown. So we'll also cover this in the matchup portion. Replacing Tyreek Hill has proven to be a bit of a challenge for the Chiefs. They've used more receivers with like significant workloads than anybody else in the National Football League because why? They don't really have a top dog, or at least they didn't until Rasheed Rice became that. But beyond that, they're still in search of their two and their three and their like one, two, two to the three to the four. Like it's it's a challenge for this team. Last year, they won the Super Bowl. So like I guess it's ridiculous to question their process, right? But I, I still wouldn't have traded Tyreek Hill. But the storyline around the Chiefs this year has been the wide receivers who lead the NFL in drops by, like, I think that I saw a stat. They had, like, 40-something drops going into last week, and Larry Fitzgerald dropped 26 passes in his career. What? They just don't create the same separation they did in the past. Weird how when you lose Tyreek Hill, you don't have separators anymore. Separators. Separators. And they don't give Mahomes the easy solutions that help keep drives on schedule and generate those situations where he can create and be Superman. He still does that, but it's so much fewer and far between because they're often behind the chains and in bad positions, and they're just not making plays for him. I mean, Marquez Valdez-Scantling has been a bust of a free agent signing. Sky Moore's on IR, but he's a second-round pick who has not worked out at all. They went out and got Kadarius Toney in a trade last year, it's been a disaster. Justin Watson, you know, nice player, I guess, but talking about limited skill sets. And then Rasheed Rice, you know, I, I think that he, I think the world of that guy, he's, that catch he made on the Chiefs' long touchdown drive in the first half back in Germany, it was like a third and five or whatever it was, backed up on their own goal line, and he makes a diving catch on a speed out. That was, besides the Tyreek fumble, to me the biggest play in the game as far as the difference of the game. Uh, McCole Hardman is back off IR. He left to the Jets and came back because you go to the Jets, you always leave because things don't happen positively there. Anyway, the entire group was acquired within the last two years for Kansas City. The line, the offensive line in a league where there is no stability on the offensive line, pretty much league-wide, has been the stabilizing force. Jawan Taylor brought in to replace Orlando Brown. It hasn't been great, but he's, you know, he's a, a name. Donovan Smith is in at left tackle for Andrew Wiley, who also exited in free agency. And he has been injured as of late. And Wanya Morris, his backup, was filling in not so well. But Smith is supposed to come back for this game with Wanya Morris in concussion protocol. So something to keep an eye on. And, you know, we have, <laughs> we have street free agents right now. They're going to play significant reps at that position. But if, if something happens to Smith and Morris isn't available, they're getting very deep into that position as well. So it's interesting. Um, but they know they can survive the pass rush losses off the edge, even despite their investment into the position, right? Like Taylor was a big acquisition. Donovan Smith is, is not that. But they didn't re-sign Wiley or Brown for those reasons. And I think the reason is because they know that if they keep the interior pocket clean, Mahomes' creativity and the eyes in the back of the head and the feel and just the overall balance and scramble ability and ability to keep your eyes downfield while navigating the rush, that's where you can afford to be a little bit softer when you have a trio inside of Tooney, Humphrey, and Smith. It's the best in the National Football League. Now, defensively, and this is where it gets really interesting, crazy, right? Because they have a Hall of Fame quarterback, a Hall of Fame coach, and a Hall of Fame tight end, and defense is where it gets interesting. 
in my best Al Michaels voice, go figure. But they never had a, air quotes, good defense during all that success we just talked about. It was always a potentially fatal flaw, as we like to call them, heading into the postseason. They never ranked better than 16th in defensive EPA during that 10-3 and playoff record and their average of 13 wins per year. But now the defense is more efficient than the offense, and it starts with Chris Jones, an absolute beast. They supplemented him up front with two lengthy, strong edges in George Karloftis, last year's first-round pick, and Charles Amenahu, a nice free agent acquisition this offseason. They also drafted another edge in the first round this year in Felix Anaduke Uzama, who hasn't played much, but he's got skills. Inside with Chris Jones, another draft pick with Derek Nandi, who's a great freaking player. They're just really, really good up front. Nick Bolton was a recent draft hit of theirs in 2021 as the green dot in the middle of the defense. They also brought in Drew Tranquil, who is probably better this spring. They're so deep in that good spot. And what have teams done to disrupt the Dolphins' offense in the last few weeks? It's been stout interior linebacker play. And how do the Bills replace Matt Milano, man? Like, Terrell Bernard's freaking just as good as he is. And Tyrell Dotson left that game, but he was playing pretty well, too. Roquan Smith and... Patrick Queen, <laughs> frustrating man. Uh, gosh, we should win the division. Um, but they also added a very good cornerback in Trent McDuffie, no relation to OJ McDuffie. They found former WSU star Jalen Watson as the UDFA last year. They signed Justin Reed last year and developed a fourth rounder in Legereus Sneed into one of the best cover corners in the National Football League. So they are an example of retaining a few core parts from teams of old and then hitting on key draft picks and free agents to cobble together an impressive unit, something Miami, I think, will have to do over these next couple of draft classes as well, as I could very well see a run-it-back scenario where you just drop in your draft classes, which I would be very much in favor of. Anyway, Andy Reid still at the controls. No more Eric Bieniemy. Matt Nagy is back as OC. Maybe maybe Eric Bieniemy had more than we thought. Steve Spagnolo in his fifth year as DC, cooking up all those blitzes. So they've really built the team to his vision on that side of the football. And the continuity, I think, shows, while offensively, the lack of such continuity on offense has caused for a down year for them. They look disjointed at times, and I would never doubt them to get it right, but I just don't think it's going to be humming in this like we're used to seeing which opens an opportunity for Miami, right? Let's go ahead and talk about the storylines heading into this critical. I mean, we talk about critical in the regular season. What's more critical than loser out games? I mean, this is what must-win games actually are, right? And the storylines are, well, you're one in five against winning teams this year. You can buck that trend. You can buck the narrative with a win this weekend. I think if you go to Baltimore and get waxed again, maybe that opens up some conversations. But I'm telling you what right now, man. It's going to be a long seven months, no matter what happens, unless you are hoisting the Lombardi in Las Vegas, I think, just because of the expectations this year. And the Nick Saban quote, man, that I've, I'm as guilty as anybody about this, and I think I've learned my lesson finally, expectations the thief of joy, right? Because I was having a lot of fun telling people, this team might go to the Super Bowl this year. They're that good. And then you lose half your damn roster to injuries, and you don't get to go to the Super Bowl. But having those expectations in a league in a sport where anything can happen in any week that can take those expectations and crumble them up in your hand like a piece of rock that turns rubble, it's not smart to have those lofty long-term expectations when you know that just each week is what you have to get done. Like it's, it's fun to talk about for podcasts and stuff, but don't buy in because anything can change. And for the Miami Dolphins, what can change and how cool would it be and Maybe this would be a fun hard knocks storyline to follow that you could potentially rematch all the teams you lost to in the regular season and beat them all in the playoffs on the road, no less, in inclement weather. 
Is it going to happen? The odds are against you, but you're one in five this year against winning teams. Get it going this week. Go beat the Chiefs. They are vulnerable. That's the biggest storyline to me in this game. The other one is it's going to be the coldest game in our franchise history and their franchise too, for that matter. It's supposed to be negative degree temperatures. How does Miami handle it? We shall find out. Adversity is an opportunity, right? I know some of you guys are tired of hearing that, but I think that if you want to be authentic to yourself as a coach and genuine and reflect to your players in a way that impacts them, you have to be yourself every time. And that's what Coach's entire ethos is built upon. So dog it all you want, but it's not its not fugazi. It's not nonsense. It's not BS. It's, it is his entire being, and that's what this team is built upon, and that's what the roster is built upon. It, you know, it's funny. In a year that all I wanted this whole year was for the first time in 15 years – and even that quarterback, like, you need to talk about limitations. Chad Pennington, good player, but, man, limitations. All I wanted for the first time in 50 years was for the starting QB to start a playoff game. And now we're the most injured team in the NFL. Go figure. Can you overcome it? You almost did in the Buffalo game last year. Damn near overcame an offense that couldn't drive the ball more than 40 yards and eat on a possession in that game. And you had to go, ironically, 40 yards to go win it, but either way. Uh, the Tyreek reunion. We do get the reunion. After all, after all the talk this offseason about how we weren't going to see him back at Arrowhead, now you do get it. And don't forget, Emmanuel Ogba won a Super Bowl there as well, and Melvin Ingram played there as well. Oh, and Justin Houston did too. All the old heads. Uh, and then finally, the last storyline I have here is just the interesting nature with how these offenses were built and constructed in complete opposite molds. This is not apples to apples because Mahomes is on that second contract and Tua is going to get that soon. But that's me speculating. I don't know anything. But you've seen these two teams attack the structure of the offense entirely different. After KC lost the Super Bowl in 2020 where they were just decimated on the offensive line with injuries. It happens sometimes, guys. Sometimes it happens. They went out and inked Joe Tooney to the biggest guard deal ever. They later signed Orlando Brown and have since moved on and inked Jawan Taylor to a similarly massive deal. They hit home runs on Humphrey and Smith in the draft, while Miami, on the other hand, well, they have invested plenty in the offensive line of their own with big deals for Teastead and Connor Williams, a first-rounder on Austin Jackson, a second-rounder on Rob Hunt, Liam, a second-round pick, Isaiah Wynn, once a first-rounder, not a big investment, but his one-year deal in free agency to come here, formerly of a first-round draft pick. We know about the famed McDaniel 700-play clip for Tua. Let's surround this quarterback with weapons to maximize the processing and accuracy, but also his ability to get the football out quick, which helps an offensive line for 10, 15 snaps a game to basically not take the rep off, but kind of take the rep off. I think it's just an interesting dichotomy there as these two teams get set to face off. So before we turn the page to the offense and defensive matchups, let's go ahead and revisit the game back in November. So Miami had 20 first downs to the Kansas City, 16 first downs in that game. We outgained them 292 to 267. And I put on Twitter after that loss that the Dolphins had gotten better in the big games despite losses and said they outplayed Kansas City and got greeted with some backlash to that. I mean, they outgained them. What are you talking about? The turnover battle was even, one apiece. They scored theirs. That's the difference in the game. And the time of possession was also dead even just about by 23 seconds or something like that. So Tua in that game saw the highest amount of blitzing this year against anybody, 13 times, 34%, which is right on track with Steve Spagnuolo's blitzing percentage, and it's about 30% more than what Tua typically sees. And I asked Coach McDaniel about this in his Wednesday press conference, and he talked about 
how blitzing typically generates a big play on offense or on defense, and how he says he kind of hopes they do blitz because there's opportunities for that, and that's where Tua typically shines, right? But also, they are so well coached, they can also generate negative plays in their own right. It's a fun balance. Now, we blitzed Mahomes 17 times. He went 13 for 16 with 88 yards, a touchdown, one sack. We pressured him 11 times, and he was two for eight with a fumble and eight yards passing. So, Wilkins and Seeler, man, let's go. Uh, Kelsey saw just three targets, clearly a focal point for us. Jalen Ramsey saw some of those reps as well. Those came against Gink, one, and Elliott, two, and he caught them both, all three of them for 14 yards. If you do that in this one, I think you'll win the game. Rasheed Rice caught two of two targets, both of those against Kohu, but he has really emerged now, so that might change the way that you play it. Hill drew McDuffie on six of his 10 targets, six for 45. Hey, can we get a big Tyreek game, maybe, please? Waddle got a healthy mix of everybody in coverage. Their run game went 24 for 93. They want to run it inside. 12 of their 24 runs were in the A-gaps, where they got 12 rushes for 59 yards. Our run game, on the other hand, 21 for 117. We had lots of success running right at their top rushers. 7 for 63 going at gaps, manned by Chris Jones, and 5 for 53 going at gaps controlled by George Karloftis. Karloftis did get five pressures, while Jones, Amenahu, and Dana all had two each, Cotton allowed four. He's not going to play. Rob Jones had two, and that was with uh, Connor healthy, so that was the old one of the 17 offensive line combinations we had. And Liam played eight snaps in relief in that game. But Teastead and Jackson, one pressure allowed each. So they did a good job keeping the perimeter pressure to a minimum. Sealer and Wilkins both ha had four and two pressures alike. And sad, JP had four and Chubb had two in that game. Wish we had those guys. If we had those guys, I would be predicting a blowout victory, but we don't, so there's that. Let's go ahead and take our last break right there, come back on the other side, and do Dolphins offense versus Chiefs defense. That's next, Drive Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, elite bucket getter let's please welcome jamal crawford to point game king of the court one-on-one -on -one tournament if they had it back in your prime do you think you could have took it all i'm gonna be honest with you i don't think i could have took it all but i think i would have shocked a lot of people i think kobe and everybody in their prime kobe would win a one-on-one -on -one contest yeah I, yeah because you gotta think Love he's it. gonna guard he don't care about guarding he's gonna guard he's gonna exactly. guard like you see him in the olympics <laughs> he's gonna guard and then on I'm top of that like that see that Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. And then I, his, he's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what so. I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college because he didn't need it? <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. So we dug into the matchups a little bit on that side of the podcast there. Let's go ahead and get even deeper into Dolphins offense versus Chiefs defense. And a little bit of a change here from last time. They will not have Brian Cook in this game, which is kind of a big deal because they like to run a lot of defensive back-oriented packages, and they'll blitz those guys, and they'll move them around, they'll disguise coverages. And without Brian Cook, that changes a little bit on the back end. They do still have Justin Reed, who's a hell of a football player, Mike Edwards, and then Chamari Connor is the new third safety, the dime safety they bring onto the field in, in a 24% dime defense that they run. They run six defensive backs more than any other team in the National Football League. Uh, the other corners, Legereus Sneed never leaves the field. He's a phenomenal player. And then Jalen Watson plays about 34% of the snaps on the perimeter. But inside, 
Trent McDuffie will travel in there. So if you get McDuffie, like he, he matched up sometimes one-on-one versus either Tyreek or Waddle in that last game. And, I mean, you got to win those. He's a good player, but Tyreek and Waddle, you got to win those matchups. So he plays inside. Chamari Connor plays some slot as well. Uh, up front, Chris Jones has increased his rep count in the, since the last game by like 20%. He's up to like 68% after his holdout and getting back into the flow of things. Derek Nandi, 46%. Treshawn Wharton, 37%. Carl Loftus plays 70% off the edge, while Amenuhu plays 37 but he missed a chunk of the year, so he's kind of the other starting edge. But Mike Dana, their third kind of nickel pass rusher, comes into the game, and he's a pretty good player too, 68% of the workload for him. And then the rookie, FAU, 20%. At linebacker, Nick Bolton missed a bunch of the season on IR. He played 40% of their snaps. Tranquil, 66% of the snaps. And Willie Gay, 60%. So it's a really good defense, man. They essentially used the Tyreek Hill trade to get reinforcements with Loftus, with, uh, uh, excuse me, Trent, Mc, Trent McDuffie. Yeah. Jeez, get there, Travis. Um, they've, they've just done a good job building this thing around these guys. Go out and sign Drew Tranquil as well. So McDuffie never leaves the field. When they go nickel, he kicks inside. And then, of course, Brian Cook is down. They were banged up at linebacker last time, but both Nick Bolton and Willie Gay are back. So that was kind of an area to attack, I thought, in the last game. Not so much here. I mentioned 24% dime. That is almost their same number of base downs. 43 defense is 29%, and they're in the nickel for 45%. They want to play out of those heavy defensive back packages and win one-on-ones up front, butch you with DBs, with different linebackers, and just find ways to make the picture change. So it's a very big game for Tua to get through his stuff, to get through his mental check notes, checklist, and just uh, be sharp. It's up to the quarterback, man. And we just saw a defense that operates heavily out of dime. So maybe there's some benefit there to that. And the Ravens do as well. So Miami's kind of gotten three somewhat similar schemes the last three weeks, although the blitzing is vastly different. But the Chiefs roll out cover one 36% of the time. But what's weird about that is cover three is typically the kind of offshoot of that. But they go to their cover two package the next most at 21%, a rare pairing. But part of that comes from the dime packages with three safeties. And frankly, they'll play three high looks. They'll play birds on a fence. They'll bring down their slot and cap him and blitz him. Like, there's a lot they do. That's why you have to get the run game going. Your use of motion, crack, wham action on the interior to neutralize Chris Jones could be a key here. And then when they want to commit those extra blitzes inside, you can really work against some of that leverage they create inherently with some one-gap penetration with the screen game, the outside run game, that little fake handoff flip reverse pivot against the backside flow. That's the big key here. Marry your run game and screen game in order to open up the middle of the field to exploit that portion of the field with vertical stretch. Because if you get into third longs, Gosh, it plays right into their hands and their ability to disguise their blitzes from DB heavy personnel groupings, and it puts pressure on you before the routes can develop, and it can create splash plays, like the one that won them the game in Germany. Without that fumble six, there's no way the Dolphins don't win that game. You cannot convince me otherwise. So they can get after you with pressure packages, or they can win one-on-one. These pressure numbers are ridiculous, man. Karloftis has 64 off the edge. He's topped only by Chris Jones, who has 70 on the interior, that's an all-pro production right there. He had 30 coming into our game, so he has 40 in the second half of the season. My gosh, what a monster. Uh, Dana has 41 pressures. Amenahu has 29. They're, they're a good pass rushing team, man. Before I move to the back end, they are the 30th-ranked run defense in EPA and the third-ranked pass defense. Last time, we didn't have A-chan, and that, to me, feels like an answer to some of these blitzes, some of these hots, some of these quicks. Like, get the ball out to him, flip it, throw it, double pass it, whatever you got to do. And I just think that HN is something special that hopefully we see more of this January, but if not, for sure by next year, 
he's going to be probably a 1,500-yard rusher if he stays healthy for a full year. You might need to see him hit some of those big runs in this game. And he does it every week he plays, so it's there for you. And that would get them out of what they do best. The league-high 9.2% sack rate. They blitz, they blitz, they blitz some more. Not to mention the package they've had the hardest time defending this year in terms of their production is 21 personnel. And nobody runs more 21 personnel than your Miami Dolphins, whether it's with Alec Ingold or with two running backs, with Moster and Achan back there. So how about their key cover guys? Sneed, McDuffie, Reed, they almost never leave the field. Brian Cook is down, and they use that heavy dime package to get a little bit deeper with Chamari Connor in that role. And we've seen Waddle, you know, who's going to play in this game, really exploit the middle of the field against zones and to be a quick release option for Tua. And quite frankly, right now, I'm trusting Waddle to make more catches than Tyreek in tough situations because that's what's been proven. And if he, and if he does play, which I think he will, I could see Waddle getting minimal attention if they combine, one, attention to Tyreek, two, they blitz Tua 31% of the time, right? That's seventh most in the NFL, and nobody blitzed Tua more than what they did. The Bills blitzed him once. We saw Wink Martindale blitz him 25% of his usual amount against the Giants back in week five, six, five. The Chiefs blitzed Tua 13 times, and he went eight for 11 with 66 yards. They did get two of their three sacks on that, which is a, a good win for them. So of 13 dropbacks, we only gained 66 yards and had some losses in there as well. But even still, Tua is so damn good at finding his hot, they're going to muddy the picture. They're going to keep it looking the same, then change it post-snap. But man, I'm so confident in Tua's ability to process and manipulate and bounce back in this one. I, I just think we're going to get a very good Tua game. That's my expectation here. And speaking of blitzing, this is a big game for Raheem Mostert if he can go. I think he will. In pass pro, as the release valve in the running game, all of it. We need prime Raheem to give us that balance and keep the offense humming. And again, it's going to be those young linebackers matching up on a KG vet. So for Raheem to find a way to beat those guys, Big matchup. It's a fun matchup across the board. Can Miami neutralize the edge the way they have most of the year and get Carl Loftus out of the box score? Can they prevent Chris Jones from wrecking the game? If they can get those two things done, I think they can give the scoreboard some love and run the points up to a reasonable number that gives them a realistic chance of winning the football game. But you also have to get your stops on the other side of the ball, and we'll do that next here on the Drive Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by Auto Nation. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, elite bucket getter. Let's please welcome Jamal Crawford to Point Game, King of the Court one-on-one tournament. If they had it back in your prime, do you think you could have took it all? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think I could have took it all, but I think I would have shocked a lot of people. I think Kobe and everybody in their prime, Kobe would win a one-on-one contest. Yeah, I, yeah, because you got to think, Love he's going to guard. He don't care about guarding. He's going to guard. He's going to exactly. guard. Like, you see him in the Olympics, exactly. he's going to guard. And then on I'm top of that. like that, see that? Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. And then I, his, he's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college because he didn't need it. <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. We did a Dolphins offense, Chiefs defense, which to me is kind of the marquee matchup in this game. Let's go ahead and finish up here on the other side with Dolphins defense versus Chiefs offense. And you know about Patrick Mahomes. He is the all-time quarterback. He never leaves the field there. With Rice has had a major 
uptick in usage. 55%. He was at 20% last time these two teams played. But Valdez Scantling plays over half the snaps. Justin Watson plays 47% of the snaps. I mean, Kadarius Tony 25%. Like, it's just not a good room. And that's why I think there's an opportunity here for Miami to, despite the injuries, play pretty well on defense. Now, Travis Kelsey plays 69%. Noah Gray plays 60%. And Blake Bell plays 25%. So they use the three-tight end package quite frequently. Up front, we talked about the offensive line. You know about those guys. Pacheco, 50% on the uh, workload in the backfield. They're not going to have Jarek McKinnon. So Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, who played 20% of the snaps, will be running, running back number two. They don't have an exclusive slot. They use guys all over the field. They have so many guys that have like specialty roles they're supposed to fulfill, like screen game, end-around game, jet sweep, vertical top-off guy, like... They have 10 players who have a 25% usage or greater in the slot and nobody over 60% besides the tight ends. Like, it's it's a weird balance they have over there. Uh, no McKinnon, no Sky Moore. They run 62% of their offense out of 11 personnel. That's, of course, one back, one tight end, three receivers, one back, two tight ends, 12 is 27% of the time. So that gets your base defense on the field quite a lot for Miami. We'll see how that how they react to that. And then 13 personnel, which is one back, three tight ends, is 10%. So they want to go heavy a lot and try to run the football. There is one surefire way to limit the Chiefs' production offensively, and it's hardly a mystery. Find Taylor Swift, right? No, his Travis Kelsey. And disrupt him. He's the most unique player I've ever studied, ever. Like, do you guys remember that clip? I think it was before we played them, when the Chargers rookie had asked him, like, if he had any advice for a rookie when they shook hands on the field after the game and Kelsey said understand the other side of the ball as well as you understand your own and damn it that's the entire key to his game he loves to run to space regardless of his route you'll see a pretty common concept start to unfold and then he just checks up like he'll turn over the wrong shoulder and intentionally his spatial awareness is what I would say is the best of all time is that too much maybe Wes Welker was better but those are the top two for me You've got to find ways to minimize what he produces. This is a Holland and Ramsey thing. You had both these guys in this game last time, and that's a big part of why I think they shut the Chiefs down offensively. And if it isn't them, it's going to be help. Cater with Deshaun. Cater with Holland. Cater with a lot. Like, constant help on 87. Do not if, – if you hold Kelsey to 14 yards again, you're going to win this game. Like, that's, uh, that's how I feel about it. And even if you're one-on-one with him, I'd plan to have eyes or a search or a rat – on him because that's going to be where this KC offense gets moving if they can find Kelsey off script. But as we've learned from Mike McDaniel, if you take something away, it opens something else up, right? So we'll see. And Mahomes is not at all shy about peppering other players when Kelsey commands the attention. But if you go back even to the Alex Smith days and all those great matchups versus the Patriots, Belichick would meg that thing. Man, everywhere he goes, zone everywhere else. Do you do that here? We reference Kelsey versus Ramsey, right? There's more historical evidence to how teams have played this guy, and even with Ramsey himself versus the Chiefs. The Rams and Chiefs played back in 2022, and Ramsey shadowed Kelsey nearly the whole game. 84% of his routes came against Jalen Ramsey. Three targets and one catch. Now, it wasn't explosive, a 39-yard touchdown, but guess what one of those incompletions was? A pick. If you tell me right now that Ramsey shadows Kelsey and he scores once, gains 39 yards, and gets picked off, I think the Dolphins will win this game. I do. How about elsewhere? Uh, I just don't think it's that good. MVS is a big body X. Kadarius Tony will align everywhere, and they try to manufacture touches for him, same way they did Sky Moore, but he didn't work out this year either. But it's been such a struggle for those guys to develop a deep connection on anything beyond, like, 10-yard throws. Justin Watson, I mean, who can I compare Justin Watson to? Like, 
a, a less athletic Devontae Parker, maybe. I don't know. And then Mecole Hardman is like Jakeem Grant 2.0, basically. So that's the guys that I, you know, don't really think command a bunch of attention. But Rasheed Rice is the guy that I would, I would really – besides Kelsey, look out for. He's their best route runner. He's the most sure-handed. He has the most big play potential than the rest of the receiving core has combined, really. I'd say your priorities are Kelsey, Kelsey again, and then a mix between Rice and Pacheco, the running back. One thing you have to accept is they're going to scheme open some wins, especially coming off the bye week. Andy Reid's a genius. There's no way around that. They get RPO layups that are just taking the vacancy with Mahomes' unique skill set off of those zone read RPO looks. So they find ways to get those hits. But if they miss them, you have to capitalize and get off the field after the fact. But they're going to find ways to get RPOs, horizontal stretch, and get themselves some easy layup throws for some yardage. So you live with those. But like I said, there's lots of chaos ball there. And when Patrick moves around and makes plays from the move, like rush lane integrity is vital. We had such a good job doing it, not just against the Chiefs back in Germany, but last week against the Buffalo Bills too. Like some of those plays where Allen tried to get out, Miami had him pinned in there. I don't think you can bank on constant pressure because he just gets away from it. And the interior offensive line so good. And then Mahomes, you know, mitigating that pressure as well. But if there's one area they struggle to protect, it's off tackle. But we've also been thin there as well. So it's like, ah, damn. Uh, their pass block efficiency scores are 95.4 for the left tackle Smith. That is not good. And if he's not available to go, neither is the backup. Uh, but inside, it's 97.5, 98.6, 97.4 for the three guys in there. That's very good for all, th all three of them. And then Taylor's 96.2, which also isn't that great. It'll be interesting to see where Miami can get their wins up front because I don't bet against 94 and 92 ever on the interior, but they're just so good inside. I think the big key for those guys is to keep second-level climbers from attaching to Long and Duke. And that's where I thought that Wilkins and Sealer were the best, you know, really all, all year long was keeping those bodies off the linebackers at the second level. I do think it's a David Long game because I'm not sure the Chiefs want to go run game defense this time of year for two reasons, the weather and their struggles in the passing game, but not just for the run game for Long and for Duke, but Mahomes is not a designed quarterback run guy, but he scrambles as smart as anyone in that he attacks the line of scrimmage looking to throw and then falls into the scramble position or scramble opportunity as a secondary option. All year, they've rarely won in structure, but their quarterback is the greatest creator of all time. How do you defend that? It's tough, but you have to plaster when he breaks. And we have some good guys that can do that. Hard thing for a DB to ask of that, but we have guys that can do it. They will test the edges in the quick game. A few teams have better screen packages than the Chiefs do. I don't think there's a better short area tackler in the game than cornerback Cater Kohu. We know how Ramsey plays in that category. If you shut those down and you get missed layups, you can create these third longs where this offense has just been atrocious because they cannot separate. Force them behind the chains. You'll get some mistakes. You'll get some takeaways. You'll get some punts. And if you can do that all night, you'll win this game, man. Like There's chances to win this game. This is not the same Chiefs we've known all along unless they took the week off and became world beaters again, but I doubt that. Finally, their run game. I love Pacheco. He's a big passing game weapon, has taken more with the loss of McKinnon in that role. So again, big game for Duke and Bake and just not getting off those interior blocks, but being able to run wide and cover those curl flat responsibilities as well. Some last notes here on the Chiefs. Uh, they have the highest pass rate over expected, which means in run situations like a first down or a second and three, they throw more than anybody else. Wouldn't you if you had Mahomes? Uh, you also don't really sack Mahomes, 4% sack rate, but you can force a lot of incompletions and checkdowns that give you those chances to rally and tackle. That's how teams have had success. Only Rasheed Rice is in the top 50 receivers for this team of Yak. He's fourth, and when he goes off, the Chiefs' offense tends to go off. So tackle him. In fact, 
there is a number for that. They have the second lowest A dot in the league, average depth of target at six and a half yards, but their 6.32 yak is second best in the NFL because Kelsey, Rice, and Pacheco are good. The other guys, not so much. There's correlation there. I think this game calls for a Josh Boyer specialty, honestly. Zero blitz because, one, I think they don't have the guns to make you pay for it, and, two, you don't have the guns to move him if you don't. That's kind of where I see this game going. What's at stake seems like a very silly segment to have in the playoffs, but I have a different little twist on it here, so it's this. A difficult offseason full of very annoying commentary is coming if you don't win. Now, whether you choose to let that upset you is your call. It's, I mean, I'm on Twitter so much because of my damn job that it bothers me, but I have to do better about that. But if you do win, you get another crack at Baltimore, most likely, unless Pittsburgh upsets Buffalo, but is that going to happen? Probably not. It'll be fun to watch on Sunday, knowing that we have another game. that I'll really look forward to that, just to hope the Bills lose and oh, that friggin' fan base. But it's probably not going to happen. But also, you can win the coldest game you ever won in franchise history. Talk about knocking out some narratives here. Tua and Coach can get their first playoff wins. You can beat a good team. A lot of the tackling, or the, the talking points, I should say, that have driven us wild, you could then point to this and be like, well, they won in Kansas City in January, so what does that mean? So please do it. Please, please, please do it. Also, Hard Knocks has been so good. Don't you guys want to make more episodes? Wouldn't Hard Knocks arc be so cool if the whole thing was losing to these good teams and you come back and beat him in the second time? Come on, NFL, help us out. Uh, keys of the game. Number one, don't let Travis Kelsey beat you. That simple. Number two, when the Chiefs go off script, you have to plaster and win your matchups. Do not let Mahomes become Magic Man Mahomes. You know, John Cena, now you see him, now you don't. Number three, consistent execution on offense. I want to see good operation. I want to see accurate throws. I want to see good routes. I want to see hustle. I want to see effort. I want to see brotherhood routes. All that stuff. Be your best version of yourself. My areas of concern, defensive injuries, obviously, and our offensive operation in a really raucous environment. If these teams were both healthy, I predict a blowout for Miami. But I think you need the offense to be one of the better versions of itself, and they haven't done that on the road all season because you might get nine of 11 starters back in this game. And it's Connor Williams and Isaiah Wynn. Like, Connor's super valuable. Isaiah was great this year. But if I told you that going into the season, if you had all those guys but two, you'd say this offense can score 40 points any given week. I don't expect 40, but score points, man. You're there. Do it. Uh, also, their elite linebacker play is an area of concern. Area to exploit matchups on the perimeter on either side of the football and the fact that they are a blitz-heavy defense that can't do that against this quarterback without getting burned. My prediction. I think the Dolphins are going to win, guys. I do. I think the Chiefs have been hashtag not a good team all year. And I think more recently, they've become sort of a bad football team. Have you watched the Raiders game they played a few weeks back? Now, the Dolphins are, are teetering on being a good, uh, hashtag good football team because all the injuries and the offensive regression, right? But also, we haven't seen the offense this healthy since the Washington game. And that was both receivers, the th both running backs, and three of your starting offensive line. I mean, that's really not that bad. Now, can we get a pass rush? Do we have to blitz? I think so. I think you go down swinging and you ask the Chiefs to beat you with their wide receivers. We did see some zero blitz against the Bills. Mahomes does not have the same running ability as Josh Allen. I think if you do that, you can create some stops and go score four touchdowns. Score four touchdowns, one per quarter. I don't think it's asking too much, even as good as the Chiefs defense is. You're healthy. You're a great offense. You're a great offensive mind. You're a quarterback who wants to get a $50 million per year contract in the offseason. Go execute those things. I don't care about the weather. I don't care about the crowd. Go be a great offense. My prediction is 28-20 Miami Dolphins. We'll see if I'm right or wrong on Sunday morning. All right, that's my time. Chiefs preview podcast in the books. 
Uh, you all, please be sure to subscribe, rate, review the podcast. You know all that stuff we like to talk about here on the show. Also, go ahead and follow me on social at Wingfield NFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank podcast with Seth and Juice. Check out the YouTube channel for media availabilities, Dolphins Today, and so much more. And last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up. Caroline Cameron, Daddy's coming home.